Next on Abounding Grace, we have a look at the incredible writing on the wall, recorded for us in Daniel 5. This is amazing grace. God often shows up in our lives in ways we might not expect, but at just the right time. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see an example of that as the Lord reveals Himself suddenly, breaking up a party, all to convey an important message. We dig into Daniel chapter 5 and examine the handwriting on the wall, a message written by God that has great application to us today. With today's message, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Would you please take your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 5? As we start a new chapter, Daniel chapter 5 in a Bible study that I've entitled The Incredible Writing on the Wall. The Incredible Writing on the Wall. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So verse 3, they brought gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and the nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It's important to remember that leaders come and go. Even though the leadership may be confident in their current position and confident that their reign will last forever, it doesn't. Never, ever. Leaders come and go. Even in your own relationship and position of leadership, perhaps in a church or maybe at work, you won't hold that position forever. The Bible says in Psalm 75, verse 7, if it's God alone who judges, he decides who will rise and who will fall. And I memorize in the the New King James that God raises up one and he puts down another. And that is God's way and God's will. And for sure, Nebuchadnezzar, as we were introduced to him in the previous weeks, was one of those guys who believed his reign of leadership would never end. He was quoted as saying things like, my kingdom, my reign, my life will last forever. And yet those were his famous last words. He didn't last forever. He passed away. And history tells us that he died on October 7th, 562 B.C., And his life was one of wild ups and downs. But I believe in all that he went through, in his ups and his downs, I believe we will meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. That he represents one of the many unreachables that God reached in a big way and brought him to true humility and repentance. So by the time we come to chapter 5 now, it's about six years after his death. And there was a vicious fight going on for the leadership of the Babylonian kingdom. There were assassinations and conspiracies, secret plots. 
until finally a man by Nabonidus came to power. His son, his name is Belshazzar, that we meet here in chapter 5. He was left in control of Babylon while his dad went off into Arabia. And what does he do? He throws a party. As many kids do when their parents go away, he throws a party. And it wasn't a good one. He has an idea. Dad's out of town, so let's call all the leadership together. And here's what we'll do. We'll drink a lot. And we'll get drunk. And thus, probably not planning for it, but as a result of any drunken party, they made a lot of stupid decisions. And the stupid decisions we notice is rooted in the overconsumption of alcohol. There isn't really anything to be said good about alcohol. And of course, we've studied these things in depth before, but many of you can testify that alcohol has a tendency of creating many problems and sorrows. Do you know in our culture today, I looked up the statistics, that Americans, just in the United States, that Americans spend over $243 billion on alcohol and alcohol consumption. That doesn't include all the things that go with alcohol. And I learned something in my studies today as I Googled this, that there is a, there, there is a category of drunkenness that they call, and I quote, drunk shopping habits. That a person that develops a problem with alcohol and drunkenness, some people, and I didn't do the math, but it's probably about 20% of the $243 billion spent on alcohol. It says that an estimated, the, the article said, an estimated Ameri- that Americans spend over, drunk Americans spend over $40 billion a year shopping while they're drunk. And the implication is, is that drunkenness led them to buy things that they never intended to buy before. (sighs) Things will happen when you get drunk, and they're not good. I learned today that every person addicted to heroin, as bad as it is, there are 15 other people addicted to heart, would be considered in the category of hardcore alcoholics. And it's a problem now like it was then. The alcohol in Belshazzar's system caused him to defy God. Come back with me to verse 2, and don't miss the phraseology here. It says, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, while he was in the process, these weren't orders before they started partying. These were orders in the midst of partying. And I can't tell you how many times in my own life before Christ and how many times I've ministered to people in the life of this church is that the trouble started while they were drinking. That the bad decisions happened when they brought under the influence of alcohol. That the issues in their life that they're currently dealing with started with a drink or a second drink that they never could foresee that that alcohol would eventually bring them under its control. I mean, they were just hanging with some guys and doing some things. And and now that marijuana is illegal, so drinking leads to marijuana. And anyone that studied these things knows that marijuana is a gateway drug to other drugs. It just doesn't stop. It causes people to turn on their friends, to turn on their parents, to turn on their kids. It causes people to lose their jobs and literally turns well-meaning, good people in society into murderers as they choose to drink and drive, many of them. And I don't want you to miss this. This is something to pray about in your own heart. It was while he was drinking that he gave the orders. 
They could have easily said, he planned the whole party out and told everybody, start doing it. Just, just take care of it before we get here. Then we'll do a lot of dumb things and then start drinking. It doesn't say that. It says in verse 2, while he was drinking, he gave orders to bring these gold cups and these silver cups that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple. Nebuchadnezzar took, when he ransacked Jerusalem, he took all of the valuables and the valuables that were in the temple became property of Babylon. But these, were no, these weren't just melted down gold developed into cups and pitchers and basins. This was gold set apart for God's use. We have a word for that. It's called sanctified. They were sanctified. They were set apart. Another word we might use for this is that they were holy unto the Lord. They were to be used for the worship of God. These weren't any just ordinary, you know, Tupperware from your cabinet or uh, maybe a plate that you got at home goods. These are valuable resources that God said, reserve them. Don't use them any other way. Use them for my worship. Take care of them, honor them, holy them. And you know, in the same way, in the New Testament, the Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's set apart for God's use. Take care of it. Make sure it's used and set apart and holy unto the Lord. And it's these that while he was drinking, while he was drunk, he said, we're going to use them. And I believe because he needed to go get them, I believe that implied in the text is he knew what they were for. He understood their background. And that's why they weren't just commonly available and just ready to be taken off the shelf. They had to go get them. They needed to bring them. And his goal in verse 2 there at the end was he wanted to drink from them in no, with his nobles, wives, and his concubines. So he calls them to be part of the party. And what he's demonstrating is he's demonstrating to the Babylonians, to all that were there, that to him, these vessels mean nothing. You say, how can you say that? Well, by his actions. He's showing everybody in Babylon that they meant nothing. And that he has no respect for the God for which they represent. And what happens in verse 4? While they drink, they praise their idols that were made of the same materials. They use the vessels of God to participate and practice in idolatry. Why is he doing this? It's a good question to ask. I mean, I understand that he wants to party. And I can understand that he wants to impress these folks in his dad's absence. Uh, in, in the political realm, just looking at it in a very practical way, he can see in his own mind, no pun intended, the writing on the wall that he would, as many have gone before him, take over for his dad, calling the leadership together in his dad's absence, building up the confidence and building up the political alliances. I, I understand all that. I even understand an unbeliever deciding to go into the party scene and waste their life away as they see no purpose, as they see no, no overarching story of their life authored by God. I get that. But why? To me, it's a deeper question. I understand what's happening here, but then I step back and say, but really, why does anybody jump into this type of behavior? And for the unbeliever, there's blindness spiritually. Unable to see the value that God has placed upon you. Unable to understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Unable to understand spiritual things where the Bible says that the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. 
But not only for the unbeliever, but for the believer. Why does a believer go back to the vomit that they were saved from? And the central theme, I think, of backsliding and going back to vomit like a dog goes back to his vomit is a hard heart toward the things of God. A hard heart toward the faithfulness of God. And hard hearts lead us all to make really bad decisions. Maybe it's a part of your heart that's been deadened because God, you, you feel disappointed in God. Have you ever considered that disappointed in God? You know, disappointment, it comes from the, from the sense that you expected one thing and you received another. And therefore, because you didn't receive what you asked for, you're disappointed. But disappointment can easily lead to offense. We're now... Consider the fact that maybe tonight you're offended by God. You believe that God should have done one thing and he did another thing and that offends you. Remember what Jesus said? He said, blessed are those who are not offended by me. Like, you know that the offenses will come not because of sin. Any offense that you have toward God tonight is not because God sinned against you. It's because you expected one thing and you received another. And if possible, you find yourself purposely ignoring the work of the Spirit in your life, then the Bible speaks of you grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Spirit of God in your life, going against your own conscience and your own morality. Spiritual blindness is, and the unbeliever, something you're born into. But the believer, it's not necessarily spiritual blindness as much as it is turning a blind eye to the truth that you already know. It goes something like this. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Every believer, whether you say those words or not, if you turn back to a sinful lifestyle, you maybe go back to a party scene or you, re, you purposely rebel against your parents or in your marriage, you have to process in your mind, I know this is wrong and dismiss it in some way. And it's not too late for you to come back and acknowledge that before God because he loves you and even the people that hurt you love you, that you hurt love you, and maybe even hurt you, and you can work it out through the pain. If you choose to turn a hard heart, a blind eye toward the truths that you know from God already, it will cost you. It will be painful. And I know you can never see yourself using the things of God to worship idols, to have an idolatry, but I don't think Belshazzar really realized what a rebel he would be. I know Nebuchadnezzar didn't in our previous studies of what, how deep-seated his pride was that led him to being like an animal and walking around for seven years, this fingernails on his head, just like a, like a beast. There's a great contrast in the Bible between God's loving grace toward our lives and how he loves man and the devil and his pride and his sinister schemes where the devil uses man. God loves and serves man. The devil uses and destroys man. And it's a choice that we all need to make. Belshazzar on another level, this is fascinating stuff. There's the human level of this, but there's also, more importantly, the spiritual level of this. And Belshazzar, even though he didn't know it, as he is celebrating, he was celebrating at his own funeral. And he was fulfilling prophecy. Because Jeremiah gave specific details about Babylon's fall more than 50 years before it happened. If you're a note taker, you want to study these things, check this out. Number one, 
Jeremiah 50 prophesied that a northern nation would conquer the city. Secondly, the nation would be associated with the Medes, according to Jeremiah 51. Thirdly, Babylon was described as a greatly fortified city, Jeremiah 51. Babylon, number four, would be taken by a trick or a snare, Jeremiah 50. And the city's demise would involve the drying up of water in Jeremiah 51. Also, this would happen while a great feast was in progress, Jeremiah 51. And then finally, it would be accomplished when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was in power, Jeremiah chapter 27. So while this is all happening, and there's a wild party, you know, you can picture it today like a rave party. There's all kinds of lights going on, lasers going on, and all the beats and everything, everybody, oh, my gods, and we don't like the God of Israel, on and on, on and on, on and on, boom. Verse 5, in an instant, suddenly. Let me just say this. I have ministered to a lot of drunks in my lifetime, and what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to talk to someone that is just unable to communicate. Sometimes I've ministered to people who can't even stand up. And I've watched with my own eyes. Suddenly they got sober right in front of me. I mean suddenly. There was such a super, whatever it does that our body works through alcohol, God accelerated in seconds and they were sober right in front of me. It's amazing. God can work that fast in a lot of different ways. You know, as we're praying and we're waiting, you go, oh, Ed, it's been so hard waiting. It's been so hard waiting. It's been a year. It's been two years. It's been six years. It's been seven years. It's been, but then there's always that sudden work of God. And when he does a work, he's going to do it fast. I love it. Verse 5, it says, Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers. This is a bad habit with the leaders of Babylon, isn't it? They're always the first ones they turn to. He cries for them to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom, verse 8. But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed. His face turned pale. And I'm not entirely sure what a pale face does when it turns more pale. But all the blood is coming out, rushing out of his face, and his nobles too were shaken. In the midst of this party, God reveals himself suddenly. God shows up and he breaks up the party. And he begins to write on the wall. And he's this writing as, remember Belshazzar is also a guy that God wants to get their attention. I know we get so, it, we get so pushed back by people's attitudes and opinions and personalities. We think, oh man, because you can't reach them, that God can't reach them. But listen, God can reach Nebuchadnezzar in a dream and he can reach Belshazzar and everybody there by appearing and putting up a, the appearance of a hand, a finger, to write on the wall. It must have been a trip. It must have been so dramatic that nobody mistook it for a drunken hallucination. They received it as the sobriety that it was. And he is messed up in his mind, mentally astonished, physically drained as reality is setting in. I believe this is one of those sudden sobriety moments. But there's something interesting going on outside 
the large and ominous walls of Babylon at this time during this party. Four years before Babylon fell, the Medes and the Persians had attacked and conquered most of the surrounding cities and villages. Many believed that the thousands of lords and nobles here in Babylon partying were there because they left their posts in retreat and just let them take over. When the going gets tough, the tough guys get going. And Babylon was known to be sitting on enough food reserves that could last 20 years. And at the same time, the Euphrates River flowed right through the city. So not only did they have an ample amount of food stored up, but they also had a regular continual supply of water. And in the mind of the partiers, they're safe and content. But things are happening outside as God fulfills prophecy. The Medes and the Persians at this time were actually damming up the Euphrates River, piling tons of dirt into it, shifting the riverbed and rechanneling it. And it would only be a matter of time before they conquer and rule. And reality sets in with these fingers and it rocks them. And it rocks this young, pompous co-ruler of Babylon. So why did his knees shake? Was it just fear? I believe it was a combination of fear and guilt as he comes to the reality of the current situation. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay. Or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Just search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. Each time we hear from a listener, it is a reminder that God is doing a great work through the radio. It never grows old hearing of the great things the Lord is up to. So please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really want to hear from you. Well, Pastor Ed, tomorrow is Election Day. And I thought it was fitting that you quoted a verse today that in essence says, God decides who will rise and who will fall in leadership. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners as they head to the polls, or maybe they're still thinking about whether they should vote or not? You know, Larry, it's, it is our privilege to vote. So if you're listening to me right now, please, please vote. Vote your biblical values and vote your biblical conscience that the Holy Spirit would lead you to vote and make the decision. Remember, you're not, Jesus Christ is not on the ballot. So you're voting for two very, or the option of uh, between two, three, four, whoever's on the, on the ballot, very uh, imperfect men. But what do they stand for? What are their values? What does it measure up to? And what is the Holy Spirit telling you? I know there's been a lot of voting guides. There's been a lot of advice. There's been a lot of direction. But the reality is, is your vote, and I do encourage you to vote, your vote is to be led by the Holy Spirit not by man, not by voting guides. As much as they can inform you, be informed, but prayerfully cast your vote so that you can go to bed at night with a clean conscience. And that's the key, that you can go to bed at night with a clean conscience. But what a privilege it is to live in a country where we get to vote, we get to vote our values, and we have a representative form of government. And may the Lord... May we trust God in doing what, what he wants to accomplish through whatever leader wins this election. And may we as believers stay laser-focused upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether the person we vote for wins or not. Jesus remains the same. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever for all eternity. 
Well, friend, we hope you'll exercise the great privilege of voting tomorrow, if you haven't already. And let's be praying for our nation in the meantime. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you live by God's abounding grace. It was written by Max Licato, entitled In the Grip of Grace. Maybe you had a dad like I did that would love to toss you in the air and catch you. We knew dad would always catch us with his loving hands. Well, in the grip of grace, you'll be reminded that our Heavenly Father always caught us and still does. Maybe it's time for you to jump off the cliff of self-sufficiency or leap out of legalism and land right into the strong arms of a God that loves you. Allow Max Lucado to encourage you in that direction as you read In the Grip of Grace. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. We're constantly hearing of people that are being blessed and encouraged as they study along with us. You're a big part of that, as we certainly can't do this alone. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. All right, we'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Daniel. Join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, as there is so much more to come. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.